What's up, guys? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with a former NFL lineman who has himself quite the recovery story uh, to go over. It's one that's going to open up your eyes about, you know, the substance issue that we're experiencing in sports, especially higher level competition, the professional level of athletics, and the impact it can have on and off the field for these athletes. Before we get started, though, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of today's podcast. It's Rip Nutrition. They're based out of Boise, Idaho. Love these guys over there. Uh, Rip Nutrition is awesome. I'm going to put their link here in the description. They are so good with what they do. I go over there myself for my supplements. You guys can go over there. They've got all the protein powders, pre-workouts, both non-stim and stimulant. Um, they've got fat burners, testosterone support. They've got protein bars. I mean, everything that you need. And the best part about it is when you walk into the store, and I'll put the address here at the bottom. When you walk into the store, they're they're willing to help you out. They can give you the one-on-one -on -one consultations, group consultations. They'll offer you what you need. Uh, so they'll give you the information that you need before you you know order your supplement. So I always tell the kids and the uh, the adults alike, if you're getting ready for the off season, you're trying to put in the work, or even your in season, you need to know what you can and cannot take. Obviously, talk with your your coaches and so forth. But these guys will also be there to help you out and let you know you know what would be best for your fitness goals. So shout out to Rip Nutrition. As we get into the interview, I want to remind everyone: if you do like this podcast, make sure to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to read one of the most recent reviews that are on the show, and this is from A Batkins09. And it says, excellent perspective. I love the most recent episode with Stingray Rob and Andrew L. Anderson. What a great perspective to gain insight from the athlete's life coach. We don't get to peek down that avenue often in the sport arena. I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Now, that was in regards to my interview with Stingray Rob, an IndyCar racer, and his life coach, Andrew Anderson. We had that podcast a couple of episodes back, um, and that was one of the reviews that was left for that. I appreciate the review. I love these reviews as they come in. It helps the podcast grow. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it really helps the show out, and I'll give you guys a feature. I'll shout out the the review myself here on the podcast moving forward. We'll also be doing some giveaways uh, for the reviews as well. So like I said at the very beginning, a great interview coming your way uh, with a former NFL lineman who battled substance abuse and is on his way through recovery right now and helping others that might be battling the same situation. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time this is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. For those who have been following the show for the last six years, I appreciate every single single one of you guys as we've grown. grown. At the time of this recording, we are in 180 countries, all 50 state states, and it's in large part thanks to everybody here who has tuned in and supported this show, whether you've left a review of the podcast or you've shared the show to one of your friends or family members, or maybe this is your first time listening Every little bit, uh, every little bit of that counts towards the growth of the show, and I just want to say thank you to everybody. Um, I also want to give a massive shout out before we get started here to the sponsor of the podcast. I love I love working with different businesses, different different companies, and the sponsor of today's episode is Rip Nutrition here out of Boise, I see I local uh, owned and operated hardware or sorry hardcore supplement store that's here in the valley 
Um, so, um, so if you're athletes or just gym goers or anybody who's looking to get into their, you know, get their, their physical fitness in check, go check out Rip Nutrition. I'm going to put their information here in the, the description. Like I said, in the introduction, they are the sponsor of today's podcast and they offer a lot of different things. I'll tell you a little bit more about their, their supplements and everything they offer. Um, but check the description. You can see their hours and go check them out, go online, give them a call. They do free consultations for one-on-ones as well as team consultations. So if you're a high school athlete, especially, and you're not sure what exactly you should or can take, take uh, during the off season, as you're trying to get, you know, in better shape, they can be out with that and they can get, can get in with your coaches and everyone else too. So check them out. Rip, rip, Nutrition. big shout out to that, to that. Let's get into the interview, the the good stuff, the the substance of this entire podcast. We want to get into the interview and and really have a, a a deep conversation. I'm excited to have our guests on the show. I mean, we're gonna get into some 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 good topics. Uh, one of which is obviously his football career, um, and and learning the ins and outs of that. But there, with the football career, there comes other things that can happen there uh, with the just the rigorous sport that it is. And uh, we're gonna get into that discussion as well, a deep discussion there and. Learn more about him as a person and what he's learned and learned. And he's got some insight to us. And uh, you know, and he's gonna help a lot of the people that are listening to this, into this cast. His name is Mike Mike Get. Uh, and he, he is joining us, former former NFL football player. He's got some stories to tell, and we're excited to have him here. So, Mike, thanks for joining us, man. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Shane. I appreciate you. Oh, I can't hold on one second. Can't hear you. One second. Oh man. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Shane. I appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Let's get into the uh the substance of the interview. Talk a little bit about your experience. Um and I apologize for anybody if there are technical difficulties happening right now. I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out what happened in the six years of doing this podcast. Only the last two weeks, we've had a problem here, and I don't understand. Like right now, my sound just cut out. But that's just the reality of, of uh, doing interviews and remote interviews and so forth. But that's the beauty of it as, as well. Like we've got got an ability to interview Mike when he's not even face-to-face with me. So Yeah. Adjust right. and overcome, right? Adapt exactly. 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 So, so, Mike, let's rewind the clock a little bit. A little bit. No you know, your, your athletic background a little bit for, for the, the list of the show. Talk to us a little bit about your athletic background, when you got into sports, and then I guess from the football side of things, at what age did you really start taking a focus on football specifically, knowing that you could compete at the next level? Yeah, no, definitely. So for me, um, you know, football and basketball were my primary sports growing up. Um, you know, I tried soccer as a, you know, a young child. wasn't for me. Um, seemed like too much running with not enough activity, if that makes sense. Um, and then, uh, having an older brother that was always playing sports, you know, basketball and, and football, he was two years older than me. So when he was eight years old, I was six. So I had to sit there and watch him for two years, play football. And, uh, you know, a story my grandma tells often is, you know, when I, when I was an infant and they would turn off, turn on, turn off Monday night football, I would start crying. And, uh, you know, so uh, football is kind of, I feel like football is in my blood. Um, you know, it's kind of a weird situation, but from the time I was eight years old or a weird thought process, all I wanted to do was play in the NFL. Um, so nothing was going to stop me from doing that. And a lot of the sports I did growing up were targeted towards uh, me becoming a better football player. Um, you know, so playing basketball, which was actually one of the more fun sports that I, I 
truly enjoy playing. Um, and then wrestling, you know, the, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and then my freshman year of high school, um, and then going on and playing basketball for my sophomore, junior and senior year. Uh, you know, those are all part of, you know, what can I do to make myself better at football? Um, so that was always my goal. That was my thought. I'm, I'm from a small town, Napa, California. Um, not too many people, uh, from my hometown have gone on to play. Uh, even now in the hundred years we've been open, I'm one of three. Um, we do have, uh, Brock Bowers at the university of Georgia right now. He's from my high school and he's going to go on and do bigger and better things than, you know, some of the other guys have done, which is, which is awesome. I love to see that. So that, that's actually really interesting. I, I'm a Buckeyes fan, so it's, I struggle to talk about Georgia, but um, that's that's cool though. And and hearing some of those sports that you played, and you were always saying like, how does that tie into football? That's interesting because you know some kids don't really have that mentality. They're they're just everything's just they're competing in their sport. But I like how you were saying like everything. How does that does that tie into football? So my question to, to follow up on that was with wrestling, for example. How did you feel like wrestling tied into football? We know track, we know all those things like speed mm -hmm. and and so forth but how did wrestling tie into football for you well it's balance and controlling your body weight right like you know it, it's football is one thing uh, but as an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman in particular you got to know how, how to use your, use your hands and how to manipulate your body weight to overcome your opponent um you know lower center of gravity doing um certain techniques that are going to benefit you uh at those positions in particular um, it also breeds toughness. I mean, that's the, the trenches, right? I mean, that's where the game is, is fought and won, uh, or lost. Um, so that for me, uh, wrestling was something that I wanted to do. Uh, my uncle was, you know, a two-time all state wrestler, uh, and he was a hell of a football player too. Um, so that's one thing for me that I wanted to, uh, you know, get better at and, uh, it, it benefited me greatly. Super interesting. I'm, I appreciate you giving that insight because I just never, I know there's a lot of wrestlers who play football, mm -hmm. but I never really understood. I attributed to it, to it. And that's like, um, did you experience, I guess, any injuries throughout your high school sports career where you were competing at a higher level and different various sports and whatnot? Did you ever experience any injuries that were like major setbacks for you? No, I mean, my, I think a lot of the reason why, so I didn't, I didn't really get recruited out of high school. I missed most of my junior year um, uh, with a staph infection uh, that I had developed that was uh, in my shin. I had two major surgeries uh, from that, uh, missing the gland in my right hip. You know, I was in the hospital for a week and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where they had to let it heal from the inside out. So I missed, you know, over half of my junior, you know, high school football season. Uh, which eventually I ended up having to go to junior college, uh, which was a huge blessing for me in particular. Perfect transition into that next thing, though, is because there's a lot of athletes. I'm from Idaho, so take it for what it's worth. There's a lot of athletes here, though, that um, they don't get recruited and they have to take, you know, the longer route, so to speak, or the not so uh, luxurious route. To, to get through to the next level of, of collegiate athletics if they really want to play. And that is typically the college route mm -hmm. for you about your junior college, college experience and what the biggest transition transition from playing high school ball to the junior college, you know, realm of things, not only as a student athlete, but as sorry, not as a, only as a student, but also as an athlete. Yeah. I mean, for the transition period academically was definitely, 
I guess the harder part. Um, I, I went to Solano junior college in, um, in Northern California, not too far from my hometown. And, uh, we had a great coach, coach Burnsed, who, uh, coached Drew Bennett, um, Ken Dorsey coached those guys in high school. And so he had a lot of good connections, uh, with division one colleges, which is the reason why I went there. Um, you know, I was a late bloomer, if, if you could call it that. I got recruited as a defensive end towards the end of my, uh, you know, high school career. Schools like University of Reno, Nevada, um, UC Davis, uh, you know, but I had aspirations to do bigger things. And so for me going to uh, junior college, I went from, you know, 6'4", 240 pounds to 6'4", 280. Um, and uh, I actually got my first scholarship offer in the summer going into uh, my freshman year of junior college. And, you know, like I said, small town Napa, nobody really knew of like what the NCAA clearinghouse was. So like, I didn't know you had to register for the NCAA clearinghouse. I thought people just got recruited and then they went off to go play college football. Uh, so for me, I never even registered. So I had to go to junior college for two years, uh, which was, a, like I said, I, everything, God puts everything in front of you for a reason. And, um, for me at the University of Missouri, I ran a 40, ran a 492 um, at 280 pounds and did some splatter work because they were recruiting another offensive lineman that we had. And uh, right then and there, that was my first scholarship offer. I hadn't even enrolled in the junior college yet. Um, so, but I couldn't go because I had to graduate from junior college first. And uh, from that point on, it was, you know, uh, interesting because I wasn't like a highly re recruited high school player. And then all of a sudden I went from essentially nothing to the number two overall prospect um, two years later. That is wild. Actually how it all works. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned you went 240 to 280. Is that what I heard correctly mm -hmm. there? Yep. Okay. 240 to 280 in a relatively short amount of time, if you want to talk about it that way. So I wanted to, and, and I know this kind of the, uh, cusp here like I, I wanted to ask you that there's a lot of kids a kids I've seen here locally and just across the country as I've covered sports in various you know areas but they, they might be the the dog at their high school um but you know we've got undersized linemen we've got undersized linebackers so to speak but they they're they're killing it in high school but one of the things is they struggle to put on some size they don't realize how physical the game's going to be so from somebody like yourself who was able to do that um, that's quite a bit of size to be able to put on in a relatively short amount of time. You know, what advice would you give to these kids in regards to the weight room? Is it diet? Is it a mixture, mixture of, or is it also part of like timing and how your body matures at a certain level? Everybody's, everybody's at a time. Like talk to us about that so that these kids have a little bit of insight is like, okay, I do have a little bit of uh, hope, so to speak. If they want me to put on 20 pounds. I can actually do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's so much different now and compared to, you know, let's see. 2004. So you're looking at almost 20 years ago, right? Uh, the amount of uh, athletic training, the amount of resources that kids have now and compared to what we had when we were growing up, right? Like in order to find a workout, you know, to find a, the, I remember my high school football coach went to the university of Nebraska, right? So like in order to get the Nebraska Cornhuskers workout, he had to physically go to Nebraska and get it right. As he couldn't just like search it on the internet and find it. Um, so that was like, it, it's just the resources now are so much different. Right. And I think the, the biggest thing that I learned, and if I had any advice to prevent injury and for do it light, do it right. 
eventually the strength is going to come. Right. I, I always had like weird phases in high school. So my freshman year, I was like 5'10, 215. And then over one summer, um, I went to 6'2, 185 pounds. And that was in between my freshman and my sophomore year. Um, and then my going into my junior year, it was 6'3, 215. My senior year, 6'4, 240. Um, so I always had like this huge growth spurt and, and, a bunch of different little growth spurts and everybody in my family is naturally big. Um, so like I knew that the size would come, but it's, it's just utilizing your resources to maximize that potential, right? Uh, nutrition is one thing, right? Don't take that lightly. Um, taking safe and clean supplements that are going to benefit you, right? You don't have to go overboard, um, you know, creatine, protein, and nutrition. Nutrition is number one right? You're going to look like whatever you put into your body. So, and, you know, eating carbs and protein before and after your workout, um, and making sure you're eating, you can't go eating McDonald's, you know, you can't go eating Burger King and pizzas and, and all those things. If you want to put on size and look sloppy, then go ahead, you know? Um, and the one thing that I will say is when you do start putting on that size, stretch and run, stretch and run because that that's going to be the one thing that's because once you put on size, it's going to slow you down. But if you keep on running and build up those muscles, you're not going to be as slow, right? It's just common sense, right? The, the more weight you put on, the more you got to haul down and run that 40. I got slower, the more I put size on. Um, so stretch, run nutrition. Um, you know, I'm a small town kid from Napa at the time, you know, so it's like, go to junior college, give yourself a chance, you know? And I tell people all the time, like you see guys now, I mean, I played with uh, Andy Studebaker, YouTube Stew, right? At the time you figure in 2008, when I got drafted, like the internet was just kind of blowing up. Social media was just started getting big, right? That guy got drafted by the Eagles with me off of YouTube, right? Division three, you know? So you don't have to go division one to get, you know, to get to the NFL, there's multiple players now across the league, um, that, you know, division one, one double a, or I don't know what they call it now. That's what they called it when I was playing. Right. Um, division two, division three, um, you know, NAI there's, there's people getting, you know, drafted or on NFL rosters from all different types of uh, football. What's up, guys? Just want to take a quick break and give a shout out to today's sponsor of the podcast. Like I said in the introduction, it's Ripped Nutrition, locally owned and operated hardcore supplement store here in Boise. They're off of Milwaukee. I'll put the address in the description here of the podcast. You guys can see it there, but they are amazing. I got, I've gone there for my own stuff. They've got the exclusive Ripped series for products, but they've also got Hyped Sups, Insane Labs, Bucked Up, Innova Farm, Chaotic Labs, and a lot more. So if you guys enjoy those brands, go in there and check it out. Or if you haven't tried the Ripped series supplements that they have, go check those out too. And the best thing is, if you have questions on those, the owner will give you the information that you need. So Matt's in there. He's offering free one-on-one -on -one and group supplement consultations. So if you guys have questions on what you want to take as you're getting ready for the off-season and trying to you know, get bigger, stronger, and faster... Go check it out. Ask him, um, and he can he can help you out with it. And they've got some awesome proteins by High Tech, Astroflave, True Fit, and Mutant. Um, they're just awesome. They've got everything for weight loss, muscle building, just pre workouts, uh, post workouts. And the best thing is, man, they've they've also got some non stems. So if you're like me and you were trying to you know wean yourself off of caffeine for a little while to let your adrenals have a break, they've got non stems too. But 
They've got everything on the shelves. He'll help you out. Hit up Rip Nutrition in Boise on Milwaukee. Check it out, guys. So glad you said that too. Just like, and I think there's just a lot of opportunities now that didn't exist back then. I mean, the USFL, the XFL, like keep in mind every there's other opinions on these different leagues too, but even that gives people an additional opportunity to get some reps in at game speed at a, at a higher level. Um, mm -hmm. if they don't to the NFL, it's just another, it's just another opportunity for them to get these reps in. So that's actually really cool though to hear because a lot of kids get discouraged. A lot of guys get discouraged. Like, ah, well, if I don't go D1, it's D1 or bust. Well, well nowadays it's a little different because, because like that, there's, an, there's some power to having the internet out there. Uh, there's, there's, it's got a phone. So everyone, everyone highlight reel, if they really want to have one, you know, if they, if they want to pay someone, there's always ways to get highlight film and everything. Yeah. Everybody, so. well, and, and go where you're going to play. Right. I mean, it's, it's, there's this hype about, you know, going division one, um, you know, you can go to division one or walk onto the division one school or, you know, power five school, and you're never going to see the field, you know, when you can go to a, uh, a one double a, what, what do they call that now? A non it's the FC. Well, no, it's no, it's football subdivision, whatever. Isn't Something it? Like that, right? Yeah. yeah. One AA was way easier. Right. When you can go to one double a school, play for four years and get seen division two school play for four years and get seen. The other thing is, and I'm sure we'll touch on it later on is the, the small, the very small percentage of individuals who do make it to the NFL, there's more to life than football. You know, I found that out later on in life. And uh, so, which I'm sure we'll touch on at some point. So, um, you know, the important thing is getting an education and figuring out what you want to do uh, once football's over with. No, no, I said that too. And we will, we'll get into that here in just a second too, because yeah, there's a lot of kids, a lot of kids. It's a great vehicle. Um, if you're really good at what you should do, it's a vehicle to get an education. It's a great vehicle to have a good solid start to your professional life. Right. And it can pay a lot of money if you get to the right level, but that's not everything. Cause most of these NFL players are retired by before they're even 30. Some of them take a little past. There's a lot of life left in you after the age of 30. And so yeah. it really isn't everything like some of these people and myself, I thought sports were everything. And, and I was just like everybody else. Like you think you're going to play forever. You're just not going to, that's not the reality. You might have some good money financially to set up if you're smart with it, but you still have to make money after that to that, to be able if, if you're, and you got to do other things. I want to ask you this, Mike, as you were, if when you got through the junior college and you go to the division one level, well, sorry, when you go to the next level, sorry, at junior college, you go to the next level, talk to us about your favorite collegiate experience before you made it to the top level, which is the NFL. I want to know about your favorite collegiate experience, whether it be during your junior college years or when you made it to the next level. I want to, I just want to hear something like what your favorite memory was. Yeah. I mean, I, I had some good, um, some good, I mean, that, the thing about junior college is it's not, there's nothing fancy. You don't get free cleats. You don't get free nothing. Right. So like the memories of the bus rides, um, hanging out with the boys, the daily grind, right. It's so much different than making it to the, the, you know, the, out of the junior college ranks. Right. Um, I remember getting, getting to Cal where I went to college and eventually getting, uh, you know, they're like, yeah, you want cleats. You can have as many as you want. And I'm like, well, I just had one pair of cleats for the last two and a half years, <laughs> you know? So like that, that part of it, right? Like they, they take care of you big time, uh, more so now today than ever. Um, you know, it, at Cal, I had so many memories. I mean, I had, we had Marshawn, we won an overtime against uh, the Washington Huskies. Marshawn goes right in the whip on the, on the field. Um, you know, 
playing in the holiday bowls, beating Texas A&M. Um, my first game going from uh, junior college where maybe you had a hundred people in the stands to my very first college game at the university of Tennessee in Knoxville at uh, Neyland stadium. Right. And you're 112,000 people. So that to me, right. That, that is like, to me, that was probably uh, my favorite memory is going from junior college to that. Man, I bet that the whole, whole experience, it's just different. It's different. Mm-hmm. There's memories involved like that, but man, the Marshawn memory, that's like <laughs> the fact that you were even there is wild. Yeah. That's like the very viral memory. Everybody you didn't even have to follow your team to know what happened there. And then like, yeah, I can just imagine Tennessee, just the environment of playing at that level is just different. It's a whole nother level of excitement, but you know, Mike, as you went to the NFL, I always talk to my athletes that I coach. I coach basketball, and I talk to them about levels to the game. There are levels to the game. Even within your own team, there's levels. You can see athletes in a different level. but And you see that through the collegiate realm. But when you get to the professional game, it's 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 different because it's now a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, you can you – can, uh, collegiate athletics are a business as well. But it's a business when you get to the professional level. But when you get there, that's the biggest, the strongest, the fastest – in the world, not just in your state, not just on your team, whatever, or in your region or your division. It's literally the biggest, strongest, fastest of that sport in the world. And so I'm curious, did you have, uh, what was it? I guess I'm sure you had a transition that was kind of like, whoa, but what was the transition like? Talk to us about the transition going from the collegiate realm to the NFL game. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we talked about it earlier, you know, going from, you know, you said at the high school level being the top dog and then you go to even the junior college route. Um, for me, going from, uh, you know, being a top dog, you know, starting left tackle in, in the Pac-10, which at the time was very strong, um, and getting all Pac-10 honors, uh, thinking I'm going and playing, you know, to the NFL, you're going with confidence, uh, you know, thinking you have the ability. Uh, you know, I had a physically at least right mentally it's uh you know we had coach tedford who's pro style uh coach jim mahalchek was a pro style offensive line coach you know thinking i had it all going on upstairs and i got there and it was like another language you know completely different um so not not only mentally right mentally uh i think is it gets even obviously it gets harder um physically my, my first year, you know, my first training camp, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. You know, I don't think I'm cut out for this. Yeah, and uh, I remember Kimon uh, Olhoffen at the time, Kimo was probably in like his 15th year playing. And I'm this young buck, right? Thinking that I'm going to get over on this old guy. And uh, I went to short set him. And he got underneath my pads and put me on my back. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, for me, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have the ability. Um, so that, and you see guys, I mean, I was there with John Runyon, uh, who's been playing, you know, 15, 16 years, whatever it was at the time. And just seeing how physically big he was and, um, you know, and then I, I had a good coach my first, my first few years, you know, Juan Castillo um, was patient great offensive line coach, um, you know, would drill you to death, which was, which was super important for, for somebody like me. Man. Um, I'm just, <laughs> it's like those reality check name it names though, that are actually pretty cool too. The fact that you even got to be around some of the mm-hmm. 
talent that you're around. So you're around some big dudes, athletic dudes, strong dudes that, you know, you get the humbling moments, um, which is crazy. If you look back at your NFL career uh, from the teams that you played on and, and the areas that you played, I just want to kind of ask you a couple of questions there uh, prior to getting into a different topic of the conversation. But do you have a favorite st stadium that you played in? And a couple of questions. NFL. So what's your favorite stadium you played in and why? Oh, that's tough. You know, for me, uh, you know, playing at Candlestick, the old Candlestick, the Niners uh, old stadium, uh, because I, I kind of grew up going there, you know, uh, yeah. playing uh, against the Raiders. You know, I mean, we it was 10 minutes from my college, you know, so, uh, you know, going to those fields, going from the stands to like actually playing on the field, uh, you know, candlestick in front of my family. That was my first start ever was against the Niners in candlestick. And uh, that to me was, that was awesome. You know, Lambeau field, you can't, you know, Lambeau field in December, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, you know, the new, the new cowboy stadium at the time, right. It was, you know, the inaugural season was, you know, a big deal. Um, but I mean, Foxborough, it's, there's so many cool stadiums, uh, you know, each one's different in their own way. I like playing in domes just because you never, you know, you don't have to deal with the elements for the most part. And it's just something different than what I grew up in. Um, you know, if I go to a baseball game, I like going and watching it at a dome because it's different. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the only stadiums I haven't played in, um, Buffalo in Miami, I think those are the only two. Interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. So for those who are listening, if, I said it in the introduction, but, um, you know, you had stints with Philly, Seattle, mm -hmm. and Arizona, right? Yeah. So Philly, Seattle, and Arizona. So got a, a little taste of a couple different areas there. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I don't like the Philly connection, but I will, for the sake of the interview, I, I love talking to you. But yeah, I'm not a, not a Philly fan, naturally. But, uh, um, you know... I always, I've talked to quarterbacks who, who have like a guy named, named Pickett who used to play in the NFL. He was a third stringer, but um, he's a local guy here out of Idaho. So I had him on the show and I, I, I asked him a question. I want to ask you a similar question, Mike, about the playbook and the terminology. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you might not have been a quarterback, but you still got to know things going on. And almost yeah. know, in fact, in my opinion. So can you talk about like maybe a, a, the difference between a play call in the NFL compared to that of when you were playing at Cal? Yeah, I think the, um, the big thing, you know, especially my last two, three years, I, what kept me around, what kept me around for six years and, um, of playing and was the ability to play all five positions. You know, I played my first year at Cal right tackle, second year left tackle, and then moved to both guards. And then my last two years, I ended up learning center. Right. And so, as the center, you're basically essentially the backup quarterback um, on the field, right? Like you're the second person. You point out who the Mike linebacker is. You're in command of everybody up front. Obviously, the quarterback can overrule you um, because it's, you know, his ass on the line if, if something gets missed, right? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, um, multiple plays being called in the huddle. You know, it's – you know, certain checks, right. You got, you're loaded up with eight in the box. We're checking to a pass play. Right. And, and sometimes they go into, uh, you know, while the quarterback's in the huddle, you know, it's, you know, you got to, you know, trips, right, wide, left, two jet, 
with a bunch of passes, right? Um, and then he's like, or check 27 stretch, right? So you're going, okay, so there's two plays, right? It's not only doing that, but understand why you're doing it, right? Nowadays in college football, I think the biggest struggle that players are having now transitioning for, especially quarterbacks, transitioning from college to the NFL is they'll go in and call a play, right? And they the plays they have now are weird. It's not pro style scheme, a blue, you know, and everybody knows that blue is this whole play. Um, so then they go up to the line of scrimmage and then they, you know, lift their leg or they clap and then they all stop and look at the sideline, right? But they don't understand. And then the coach changes the play, but they don't truly understand why the coach is changing the play. All they hear is a whole nother play call. Right. And so they don't know that there's a safety coming down the box or that things are rolling over. Um, you know, there's a cloud coverage that cornerback can blitz. Right. So there's certain things like that, that I don't think, you know, it's, it's really understanding why it is that you're doing certain things. Um, you know, and then the first thing, the first lesson that coach Tom Gable told me was the safeties will tell you everything. So always keep your eyes on the safeties. Ooh. That's a good piece of information. Yeah. Y'all to this, rewind it real quick, take notes. If you're a football player, even if you're a fan and you're watching the game and you just want to have some more of an understanding of what's, what's going on the field, that's huge. And uh, it's cool. Like, like these stories I like to hear though, Michael, Mike, and I'm kind of random, but that's why I like to hear them is because the, the casual fan might not understand what you're going through on the field and that a center, for example, is the backup quarterback. I think that's awesome. And it, it also plays into the, conversation the reason i started the show in 2017 was because growing up in sports you always got the well i'm not saying you specifically but there was a stigma about athletes that they were these dumb jocks you're just a dumb jock. and i just wanted to let people know like you're not a dumb jock go listen to a quarterback ramble off a play from the nfl and learn pretty quick that you don't know anything and the quarterback probably like the dumbest person in the world world now they actually have to learn things they're pretty well educated to understand a play you just talking about that like cloud cover all the things like, why are we doing this um and especially when you got 350 pound dudes on the other side of the line ready to smack your head off like you're not that dumb you actually have to know what you're doing so i, I just appreciate you saying that because it kind of plays into the entire premise of why i even started this show in the first place because i wanted to tell these stories and like let people know that they're they're not dumb yeah. uh hey even even defensive linemen need to know a little bit sometimes you know I like how you said though, even defensive linemen have a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a little bit of credit, but like still still big show. No, I'm just kidding. That was awesome. Um, so you know, the 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 interesting part of the story, Mike, is from my understanding, it was in your third season that you experienced an injury that kind of spiraled some other stuff down. Now, what's interesting about this, I want to ask you more about this because I interviewed a guy named Max Hall on the show. And Max Hall used to back and he was with the Arizona now Max when he shared his story I want to get to see if it's it's a similar situation but he was fighting for his next contract and so he was going through an injury and oh, he had some some issues that spiraled after that that because of the fact fact that contract wasn't guaranteed and that was how he paid his bills that's how it's how he's family there's a lot of things psychologically that played into his story and how he kind of spiraled down a, a different path um, so that he could support his family. So talk to us about what happened in the third season for you in regards to the injury. What was it? And then we'll kind of talk about what transpired afterwards. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, you know, I, my first year I was on IR, I had a shoulder surgery, um, and, uh, never had any issues. 
you know, with, with like prescription pain medication, took it for a very brief amount of time. Um, never had, you know, a, a abusive, uh, like a, a substance abuse history or anything like that. I had multiple surgeries, never had an issue. And, um, my third year, uh, my, well, my second year, I had a bunch, I had an opportunity to go in. I was playing, going back and forth, um, hadn't got a start yet. And then going into my third year, I had an opportunity to start and I ended up starting a, a lot of games that year. And in training camp, I had a few injuries, high ankle sprain. Um, I ended up having like a subluxation, uh, in my hip, right? So your hip pops out, then back in torn labrum. Um, I'd had, um, in college, a little bone chip in my back where the bone snapped off that I just never had fixed. Um, so kind of a, a mixture of the two. And, and for me, it was just a simple, I was prescribed five milligrams twice a day, um, just to help with the pain. And for me, it was, um, something that I felt like I needed. I was the type of guy I was, I always felt like I was the 52nd, 53rd guy on the roster. Right. And even though I had a great opportunity to start, um, that's just how I personally felt. So I was going to do whatever it took to stay on the field. That was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, so whatever they told me to take, I was going to take. Um, I did that through the course of the season, had a very successful year, didn't abuse it. If I felt like it wasn't working, I'd go to the doctor and say, I don't feel like it's working. Okay, we'll just take one more. Um, and just my, my lack of education on the subject of, you know, getting addicted to prescription medication, um, you know, was ultimately what got me, um, you know, uh, which kept me, um, in that dark, going down that dark path. And so for me, I was, took it all season long, which is the course of, you know, six, seven, eight months. Uh, we made the playoffs that year. Like I said, I had a great year and wanted to get off it during the off season because I didn't want to become addicted and, uh, stop taking it. And then what, what I now know is dope sick, you know, I, the sweats, the shakes, couldn't sleep, didn't know what was going on. I, you know, I ended up going to the emergency room thinking I was sick and, um, ultimately was chemically dependent on opiates. And right then and there, the doctor at the emergency room prescribed me more and I took it, felt better instantly. And, um, for me, it just kept me, for me, that's what ended up keeping me going on path as somebody who was on like that, felt like they were on that, that bubble, you know, was afraid of getting cut. I couldn't go tell my team like that. I had this chemical dependency issue on opiates. You know, I didn't want to, I, cause I always thought I was going to get cut and that's how I provided for my family. Um, so I never went and saw help from the outside. I was kind of paranoid that if I went to rehab, you know, that the, the team would end up finding out. Um, cause what's funny about these teams, the, the teams know everything that goes on. They got eyes and ears all over the city, regardless of where you're playing. Man, man, I'm putting myself in your position as you're talking, talking, and like I can feel the pressure, even though I never played at that level. But like you feel the pressure of where you're at, and then you're saying like you weren't ever addicted to your knowledge of any kind of substances or anything. You never had substance abuse history or anything of that nature. You didn't even realize you were dependent on it until you decided to get mm -hmm. off. And that's when the what you said was the dope sick. So, and it was relatively low dosages, but just over a consistent period of time. Mm -hmm taking them and that's when you when you're okay, this i i feel better when i take them i can actually normal now now wake them so 
I got to keep taking them. The other interesting point that I wrote down, down when you said was that when you went to the doctor, they prescribed you with more, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, we got to get, was there ever a conversation here, Mike, that like, maybe, I, I mean, I, I don't want to throw the, any kind of like healthcare officials or anything under the bus, but at the same time, I kind of want to bring light to the situation. Like, was there ever a discussion of like, Hey, we're going to give you this until this point, And then here's the next steps we're going to go to. Do they, did they ever give you a plan in place of like, Hey, we need you to take this right now. So you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to die from being sick, but we do have a plan when at a certain point to take off of them. Never, never. There was never a conversation. There was never like, Hey, don't take more than you're supposed to. You're going to, you know, because of the uh, addictive tendencies, there was never, uh, you know, a disclaimer for lack of a better term um, saying, Hey, you know, you've been taking these for six months. Maybe we should stop taking it. Um so the, the only, essentially we had, we ended up having the lockout that year. And so I was getting it from my primary care physician and, um, as the lockout had ended and I had all the, the correct paperwork and it turned it into my team. We ended up getting drug tests, the once a year drug tests that you get. And, um, they're like, I ended up getting a FedEx and a letter in the mail saying that I tested positive. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, duh. The team knows what I'm taking. I've given them all the paperwork. And my prescription was 31 days old. And your prescription has to be within 30 days. So like the day they tested me was day 31. I ended up testing positive. I wasn't abusing it at the time, just taking it as prescribed. And uh, basically to feel well. And so I, I got put in the drug program. And I was able to stop and um, on my own, I still felt like crap. Um, people around me were taking it. I think the one, one thing that I understand now is uh, they talk about a lot in the treatment industry is the phenomenon of craving. And even though you're not taking the substance, you still think about it 24 seven. And that's where I like what I understand now I was struggling with, you know, I was in that drug program for, five or six weeks. Um, and over that course of time, never failed the drug test again. Um, I was able to stop on my own, but what had happened is I had put in my appeal and the appeal went through. And for me, the second that my appeal went through, I was off to the races. Um, cause I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, my body was physically, um, dependent on it. And one, the other thing that I struggled with was the stress of, my position and playing in the NFL, right? It's not knowing if my job's going to be there every Tuesday, um, not knowing if I'm going to be getting paid the next week because I can get cut. Um, the stress of losing, you know, your either your starting position or your role on the team. Um, I didn't handle that very well, and um, so for me, like I said, it was it was off to the races from from that point on. Y'all, that is just so stressful to me thinking about it. And you know what sounds stupid? I don't I don't want to like compare my situation to anyone's like in that particular situation, but caffeine, for example. Oh yeah. When you're this like chemical dependency, I want to give people an understanding. Like, try if, if you're an avid, like if you drink coffee or something, for example, or you drink diet soda or something consistently, even if it's like 50 milligrams of caffeine, or you're like me, you take a pre-workout every morning. It's got 300 milligrams of caffeine, caffeine. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like when you're talking to a very small degree compared to what you're explaining. But when I, when I caffeine out cold Turkey and I was doing a three month cleanse of it, I didn't want to take a pre-workout or anything. 
I was sick for three days. I literally, I was sweating. I had a headache and I knew that my body had chemically become dependent on, on caffeine. As stupid as that sounds, it's caffeine. I, pr- I would encourage people who are like sitting here probably thinking, well, dude, just don't do drugs in the first place. It's not that hard to get off of them or people who smoke, like just don't smoke. It's not hard. Well, once you've done it, you don't realize the chemical dependency that your body has on it. So if you guys are saying that and you maybe drink coffee every single day, try getting off a of coffee and see what happens for like a week. Yeah. yeah. It's not so easy. Easy. Like body will literally shut down. It's like, it's, it, it's hard. And so I'm like putting my, putting my in your position. I'm like, gosh, did I understand it? So, so Mike, that happened. And you mentioned that you continued to, you know, have this through until the end of your career. This wasn't the end of your career. You still had, that was like halfway through your career. So yeah. talk to me about that. Like you, did it continuously get more and more like your dosages get more and more throughout the rest of your career as you were still, you know, physically getting yeah. up and doing your thing. And, and I guess at the end of your career, the next part of that question is what happened then? Cause now you're no longer playing, but are you still dependent on the drug? Yeah, for me. Uh, yeah. I, for, by the time that I, you know, started from that five milligrams, you know, uh, daily, I would I was taking 30, 30 milligram oxys my last two years while playing. And a lot of that was, you know, just trying to feel well, you know, it's not necessarily uh, to deal with the pain. It's so that the pain just doesn't even start. Right. Um, You know, the night sweats and stuff like that. Like it progressively uh, it's one of those pain medications. One of those things that if you keep on taking it, your body becomes accustomed to how much you're taking. So you just have to take more and more and more and more and more. That's just how it works. Um, so yeah. And then for me, you know, it's my last two years and I, and I had a solid last two years, you know, it's a, I played a little bit and was kind of chilling, collecting a paycheck. I was always on time. I was always practicing hard. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and then it got to the point where, uh, you know, maybe my pride and my ego got in the way. I, I saw a lot of players who were getting guaranteed contracts or getting paid a significantly, I, I always made league minimum. Like I never made more than that. Um, you know, starting, you know, 16 games, two playoff games, playing in over a hundred when a, when an individual with a resume, you know, starting six games has played in 20 that guy's making $2.4 million a year and I'm making 800,000 and I'm having to fight for that every single, like every single training camp, you know, just to make sure I get my contract, um, you know, getting cut out the, the way the NF, like the stress of it, people don't understand, um, everyday people don't understand that, you know, how stressful that the job can be. And they, you know, Oh, you're a professional athlete. You get the, I, you're the top if you're the top 1% of your team, the money's guaranteed, you know, everybody else is fighting every single day, every single week, um, just to get a paycheck. And I don't think, um, people, I try to explain that to people, you know, when we're talking about it and they're like, Oh, they're, you know, they're these professional athletes that make a crazy amount of money. Um, you know, it, to me, it's just not true. Um, so yeah, I mean, for, yeah, it was my, my last. So basically after that, I, I, I said, look, if I can't get a guaranteed contract, then I'm just going to retire. And, um, you know, we had at the end of the season, the Cardinals, you know, Hey, what's it going to take to, to bring you back? And I said, look, just pay me league minimum, just guarantee it so that I know I'm going to get it for sure. You know, that's all I want. I'd only had that twice in my career and it was the, 
least amount of stress that I ever had. And uh, yeah, they never offered it to me. And sure enough, I retired. Yo, dude, thank you so much for saying that. This is the reason I do the show is like, that's insightful, man. Like the general population, like you just said, said like the everyday per person, not like downplay what they do. There's the everyday person's not to say, say it's a stupid person. It's just like people who aren't in the thick of things. You guys are don't stand the stresses that go on. All they see is, oh, it's $800,000. Like they can't eight hundred grand. You're if you can't live off, if we, we can live off $55,000, like why can't they live? No, I hate that mentality because the stress of the job and the physicality and everything that goes into the job, every job has its own like ups and downs for any profession that you go into. Well, professional athletics isn't all fun and games. There's a lot of stresses that go into it. It, it affects your mental health as much as it affects your physical health. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone like yourself is battling with this, I guess you could even call it an inner demon that just kind of evolved in the third season of, of your career. And it's just like, that's going on in the background. They don't understand that. They don't. Yeah. Typically understand that. So I'm so glad that you, you shared that because yeah. people should have a little bit more empathy, so to speak in my yeah. opinion, people well, like they don't understand that 42% of that is before you even get, it, it's gone, you know, in, in federal taxes. Right. So like 800 grand, you're like, yeah, that's sick. But then you're really looking at like 450. And then yeah. like, if you're in California, which I, that's where I'm from, you got state tax, right? It's 11 and a half percent, right? Like 3% to your agent. You know, I'm, I'm looking at like 45% of my own money that I get to see that I, you know, so of that 800, I got 350 of it. 300. Oh my gosh. It makes me sick about it to be quite <laughs> frank. So, and it's funny because you're, you're probably familiar, Mike, with that documentary that came out broke. It was called broke with 30 for 30. Documentary. And like, people didn't know that. I, I didn't know it either, but like, you're, you're playing in different states each time you're playing. And so like there's state tax, depending on that yeah. game checks are different tax differently. There's a lot of money that goes out the window that some players don't even know if they're not fully educated, which I wouldn't have known. Like you have to have the right financial advisor. You got to have the right agent, the right people that are taking care of your stuff. Cause all of a sudden you're like, why, why am I taxed different percentage here, here on this game check than I was on the last game check. And it's just all random things. People don't, that's, Oh, that's disgusting though. Yeah. They don't understand. The more they take. That's what they say. Right. So like everybody, yeah chill their role a little bit when they start popping off about people's finances. Cause yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a great lifestyle. Like I loved it. You know, I loved doing what I did. I love the fact that, you know, there's nothing more that I miss than running out onto a field, hearing the roar of the crowd, right. Or the weekly grind with the boys, you know, like that lifestyle, the off seasons, right. The off seasons are amazing. I mean, yes, any player, you know, it's the best time of the year you know, other than the actual playing of the game, you know? So like, I don't want to discredit that, you know, it's, it's a great lifestyle. It's a, you know, if you're smart with your money, you can be, I, for me, I was fairly smart with my finances with the exception of the one little demon that I did have. And, you know, which ultimately, ultimately led me to homelessness. <laughs> well, to that point, you know, as you finished your football career, Mike, and, and you, you got out of it, your, your addiction was still there and it mm -hmm. continuing. So can you talk about that? Because some people would say, well, now he's done. He can just be done with the drugs. He doesn't need them anymore. It's not as, you know, but now you still got that dependency. Talk to us. What's what spiraled after that as you were try trying to figure out what's the next steps in life and life thing and how that affected you moving forward. Cause obviously you started a career career and to do some other things. Addiction was still there. So it affected you for the rest of your life. It's not just during those six years or for the, I should say the three, the last three years of your, your career, football wise, it was forever. So talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I, I looking back at it now and in knowing what I know now, majority of, um, and I've touched on it a few times is like 
with stress and, you know, the mental health aspect, um, of substance abuse, whether it's alcoholism, um, you know, other drugs, uh, food, it could, you know, there's other multiple things. Right. And, uh, majority of the people that I see on a frequent basis that struggle with these things, 99% of them struggle with some sort of mental health disability and, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, all the way to bipolar schizophrenia. Right. So they use these substances like myself, um, to mask how they feel. So one thing that I struggled with, uh, once I retired was a lack of purpose, right? Like people think retirement, you know, going out and playing golf, like that's, that shit's fun. You know, it, it is until you don't have a purpose of what you're going to be doing on, in, during your everyday life. And, um, that's something that I struggled with and I was left to my own, um, you know, my own anxieties, uh, my social anxiety, my own stresses. And, um, you know, not to mention this whole other chemical dependency that I had, that I had to take these things in order just to feel well. Um, and just the, the fear of judgment that I had, you know, if I went to go get help, if I went to go get, go to treatment, go to rehab, you know, those fears that I had, um, kept me from getting help for a long time. Man, dude, I totally understand it. When there's people I've known, known like my best friend growing up, like, didn't play football, but he had a substance abuse problem and, you know, he ran out of prison because of it for 12 years and finally got out. But he never spent a year of his 20s as a free man because of it. And he told me, you know, just all similar things that you said, there's a lot of pressures. You, you deal with your own anxiety, your own stresses, and then you have that on top of it. There's judgment from other people and it's just problem it just like it consistently goes through and it can take people to the depths of like the very darkest parts of their entire soul at times and it you know i try to have a little more empathy for people like that now because while i i myself don't with that have demons that i battle with just like anybody but like you understand like it can happen quick and quick and take them in, into places and, and he was like you he said i never thought i'd ever be into that kind of stuff but i got into it and then I started doing heroin because it was cheaper and it was a faster high. So I got into that. Well, and that takes you even deeper down in a, in a dark path. Then by all of a sudden he couldn't get it. And so he robs yeah. a, or he robs a pharmacy. That's yeah. what ended him up in prison. Mm -hmm. So are you, are you raise your hand. Are you, are you? Kind yeah. Of yeah. I mean, that's, that's me. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I had, I finally had went to treatment. Um, you know, my family, there's a few things that led me to that. I had a, a job to, I had an opportunity um, to be the assistant uh, uh, player development guy at Cal at the college that I went to. They, I'd spoken to him, they had asked me and it was something I really wanted to do. And, but I also had this skeleton in the closet that I didn't want to bring with me. Um, so, and my family was, you know, my family, I told my family at that point, what was going on because they could see it from the out. My life was crumbling. Um, and so I finally went to treatment and um, through uh, at that time I was going through some battles as well. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ready to stop. I, I once again, my lack of education, um, my thought process was, well, I'm just going to hit the reset button and then I'll be able to start at a low dose again. And then no, for me, I, I went to treatment six times Every single relapse that I had was twice as hard, twice as fast. Um, and I lost more every single time. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just like, you know, the situation you're talking about with your buddy, for me, it ultimately led to heroin, you know, and um, 
that's when, you know, there's heroin, you know, cocaine, crystal meth, you name it, I've done it. Um, you know, heroin took my life, everything else, crystal meth took my soul. You know, it was, I, I showed up to my last treatment center. I couldn't get a bank account. Um, I had two bags. One was like garbage bags. One was full of clothes. The other one was full of Nikes that I had for my Nike contract. Um, you know, I lost my house, lost cars. You know, I literally, all I had was to my name was the grocery bags, the, the trash bags full of clothes um, and good insurance. I mean, cherry on top, you got a good insurance prince, but yeah. oh. <laughs> so Mike, the advice you'd give, cause obviously you've made it out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So people are listening, like probably sweating, like I am with their palms, like, holy cow, like you're kind of like in the depth of it, but you've made it out. Mm -hmm. Advice are you going to give to people right now, as far as like what you're doing right now, but how you got there? Like what, what is the biggest piece of advice? If, if someone's listening to this, especially a younger individual, male, female, whomever, they don't have to be younger, but let's say they're an athlete and they're in a similar position. They're starting to find themselves battling a, a similar situation, but they don't want to tell anybody. So they're hearing you talk and they're like, okay, I relate to this guy. What's the biggest piece of advice, advice to them to like get them out of that funk? The, they got it. You, you have to speak up, right? Closed mouths don't get fed. Um, majority of the people, uh, that I've spoken to when I told them that I was going to treatment one people probably already know, you know, when I told people what I was struggling with, they're like, we know here I am thinking that it's this big secret, right. But nobody knows what's going on. They all knew. And the other thing is they're going to be happy for you. Um, I, I can't think of one person when I went to treatment that was mad at me for going to get help. Um, it's scary. You know, we have that fear of judgment, um, but there's nothing more fearful than having to sleep on the street, uh, which I've had to do, you know, with, with no money, with nothing, no support from your family, because I have pushed them all away, right. Due to my actions. Um, nobody wanting to pick up that phone call. I've been there where I've called, called multiple people. They don't want to pick up the phone because they, they know it's some other BS that Mike's going through. Um, so pick up the phone, talk to somebody close. Like I said, closed mouths don't get fed. Majority of the people are going to be happy for you that you're going to get the help because they already know something's going on. Um, and, and you deserve it. Like I didn't feel like I deserved it until somebody pointed out like, look, man, you deserve the help. You deserve a good life. Um, so that's my advice. Take a chance on yourself. Give it an opportunity. I know it's scarier than hell. I've been there before. Every time I went to treatment, it was scary, um, you know, and uh, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You know, success, getting relationships back with your your family members, your loved ones, um, financial insecurity, like none of that stuff happens overnight. Um, it's a slow process, uh, which is, you know, in, in this world that we live in today, everybody, we want it. And we want it now. Um but you didn't, you didn't get, you didn't get sick overnight. Right. So you ain't going to get well overnight. You know, I'm five and a half years into this thing. I still, you know, I'm still sick in my head. You know, that's why I go get help. You know, I, I talk to people on a frequent basis. So. I appreciate the insight there, man. That's, that's huge. And like you said, I was about to say that over five years sober now, uh, and you're, you're, you're crushing it, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Like you just said it like, like you, you're sick in the head, right? So you, so you still, 
those things that happen. Yeah. And anybody, anybody who has an addiction kind, uh, whether it be food or substance abuse, it could be cap. Like I said earlier, as stupid as that sounds, right? It could be, I'm going to say it, pornography could be an addiction. People have this oh, yeah. addiction. Those things are always there. But I love that you said you still continue to get help. And I'm happy to see, like, just getting to know you for the last hours has been awesome because I hear your story as an athlete and a lot of people can relate. And then obviously you have this that's going on. But, you know, Mike, I want to know, is there any way that anybody can, like, follow you? Is there a way to follow your story or get a, like, is there, is there any way to follow you or if there's information provided to anybody, a website, website like that, a social media? They listen to this and like, hey, I like, I like it. I want to, I want to see what he's up to. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in the process of, like, of creating my own website. Um, so what uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Mike.Gibson69. Um, the 69 was my number in Arizona. Everybody's, out, everybody's always like, what's the 69 for? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Facebook is another, is another thing. Um, you know, Mike Gibson, I know it's a little bit harder to find on Facebook without the link. Um, but yeah, also if you need help, uh, mhcsandiego.com. Um, that's the business that I work for right now. It's the mental health center of San Diego. And, uh, you know, we're a resource for you. Uh, we have a 1-800 number on there, uh, that you can call contact. You can DM me directly on Instagram, or if you find me on Facebook, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, whatever you guys need, I'd love to help out, uh, in any way, shape or form. I love that. I appreciate that. I'm going to put the links here, especially for MHC San, San Diego for your, your, your business for right now. I'll have the link to your, your Instagram as well as your Facebook, if anybody wants to follow you there. But uh, yeah, I mean, for those who are listening, if you guys relate in, in any way, you feel like Mike could help you help you out, please uh, utilize the resources that you have. He's, you, you told us so, so, so earlier, you're like, you know, the resource, resource you were talking about, you know, with, uh, with recruiting and so forth, like, and, and playing sports and stuff utilizing the resources that are there for you and, and all these things and competing in sports. Well, it's the same concept here, in my opinion. And like if you have a resource now and Mike who has experience here and he was willing to share it on my, my show, well then utilize the resources that are there. If he's off that, like utilize that contact them and their center that they have. If you feel like you could utilize that. So that's what I'm going to encourage everybody. And I just want to say, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for the show and being willing to take your time to schedule to talk on my platform. And um, um, yeah, I just want to say thanks. It was awesome chatting with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having a platform for me to uh, to tell my story and and share the information. Absolutely, brother. I hope everybody else enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, follow Mike, and uh, subscribe to the show because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.